I've heard of these. Um, yeah, so um, I wonder when you, uh, if I was to ask you the question, what do you think God thinks about you? I wonder what you think God thinks about you. Or let me put it a subtly different way. What do you, what do you think about you? What do you think about you? Because, so I know it's maybe a slightly odd question, but I think often in life we think we would answer one way. But when you actually slow down enough to become more aware of your inner life, and what is going on, often just beneath the consciousness radar in your inner life. It is shocking, if you do do that, how you realize you may not think of yourself in the way that you might consciously think you do. The things going on, the voices or the inner emotions that come in, in on yourself in an average day and hour are absolutely shocking. Um, for the vast majority of us. And Lloyd-Jones, Martin Lloyd-Jones, if you don't know who this guy is, he was the assistant doctor to the King of England, as a brilliant medical doctor, and then he felt God call him, this is in the 40s in England, to leave that and to become a pastor. And he became, he's become one of the most influential theologians and teachers of the last 100 years. He's phenomenal. And he book, in, his, in his book, uh, Spiritual Depression, a whole series on depression, in the introduction, he says this, which is worth, it's worth the uh, you know the price of the book just for the just for the the whole thing is phenomenal. But he says this. Um, he says he's talking about how in Psalms, you know, when David is saying, "Oh my soul, why are you so downcast?" and he just says um, he is what's he doing? He is talking to himself. He is addressing himself. He says, "I suggest that the main trouble." The main trouble, and when he says that, he's like call, calling us to lean. The main trouble in this whole matter of spiritual depression, in a sense, is this. Is that we allow ourselves to talk to us instead of talking back to ourselves. Have you realised that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking back to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You think about them. You have not originated them, but they start talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday, etc. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Well, it is your old self talking to you. He says you have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself. You have to preach to yourself, question yourself. You must say to your soul, why are you so, so, so uh, cast down? This is the essence of the whole treatment in a nutshell. The essence of this matter is to understand that this old self of ours, this other man within us, has got to be handled. I love that. It's got to be handled. It's like when Paul says to take every thought captive. The actual Greek uh, image is of like wrestling someone to the ground. It's very sort of violent, really. It's very forceful. And um, I want to talk today about this thing that I've never heard anyone ever talk on, is talking to yourself. Is actually the biblical place of talking to yourself. It says in Jude, obviously, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, you keep yourself in the love of God. 
There's those two elements. Praying in the Holy Spirit, yeah, got that. Heard a lot about that in my Christian walk. Me to God. What about this whole building myself up bit? It's almost like the opposite arrow, right? Those two together keep you in the warm bath of his love. But if both aren't working, you get out of the warm bath into the cold realities of your inner critic and the world around you. So I'm going to look at, I want today to look at this idea of building yourself up in your most holy faith, keeping yourself in the love of God. And I want to look at three, three points, of course, three. Sometimes I treat you with just two, but today I'm going to push you <laughs> with, with three. So I hope you're ready for this. I'll try and keep them fairly brief. Um, we need to learn, first of all, to talk to yourself. I'm just going to argue biblically for a moment, try and convince you it is incredibly biblical to do this talking to yourself number two with the words of jesus okay and then number three in the way of jesus i want to look at talking to yourself with the words of jesus and in the ways of jesus okay so first of all then talking to yourself i know we we would have all heard you know talking to yourself is the first sign of madness right that's a saying here in america as well as britain isn't it yeah and it may be (laughs) you may be going mental um but Biblically, I want to offer you hope because if you are talking to yourself, you're actually in very good biblical company. Jude himself here, just this is, I could have gone to lots of places to, to prove this point, but he says here, build yourself up. Now, if I was to build up Tanner, what would come to mind if I said, I'm going to build him up? What would that normally in your head involve? Affirmation, yeah. It would involve words, right? You could, I could give him a back massage or I don't know. I don't know what else. I don't know, but it would normally involve words. When you build someone up, if I build up my daughters or my wife, I'm, I, it normally involves looking in the mirror and saying, hey, I just want you to know, right? And he's saying here, build yourselves up. Jude is talking to this. If you, if you know the congregation that Jude is writing to, it is a mess. It is horrendous. And, he, and he's very blunt. He's very vivid. He says, you're like waterless clouds. And it's really like dark language he uses. It's a really interesting writer, quite different to, to Paul. And, and he's saying to this, like, it's almost like this holy remnant within it. Like, you're in a really un-uplifting uh, you know, discouraging church, let alone the world around you, surrounded by false teachers, people who are going to drag you down. It is crucial, therefore, those of you who are, are reading this, that you know how to build yourselves up. Now, of course, there's a corporate dimension. I get that. You know, we mustn't over-individualize this. So when he's saying build yourselves up, it's like, hey, Ryan, build up Tanner. Tanner, build up Ryan. Yeah, there's a corporate doing it. However, obviously, if you wait in your life until someone builds you up you could be waiting a while let's be honest the church in the west isn't that strong at it we go to church we listen to a sermon and we leave often there's not a lot of the one another rings that are so part of the new testament dozens of them so there is a corporate dimension but to state the obvious he is also talking very very individually very individually that we need to be those who talk to ourselves that build ourselves up in our most holy faith. You can replace the word faith, if it's helpful, for trust. That is a very legitimate way of understanding what is the Christian faith. And trust suddenly helps us feel a little bit more of um, the wounding that holds us back from trust of Jesus, particularly when life's very hard. 
And he's saying to these people, as they are probably in danger of, of, of just walking away from him because of their surroundings, he's like, no, 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 build yourself up in your holy trust. I know you're, you're, you're in danger of not trusting him because of your human experience, but you must build yourself up in your most holy faith. Can I be a tiny bit provoking? You know, Americans spot things in British people that British people don't see, and it's really helpful. Like, you're really stingy. Yes, we are. You know, the war finished 70 years ago. Rationing has ended, Tom. No, I know, but you know. And it's true, and I'm grateful for that, and that's why we, we actually need each other. Well, let me reverse the blessing. One in- interesting thing about Americans is a hyper-individualism, right? Which is, yeah, you're nodding, except when it comes to your spiritual faith. Let me say this, so many Americans are hyper-individualistic in their way of living life. But I've had so many people say to me, um, basically, you are a pastor, you the church, you are responsible for my spiritual life. (laughs) And I come once every month. And I come for 60 (laughs) minutes, and I'm still struggling, so I'm going to go somewhere else, Tom. And I'm like, do you understand how profoundly, you know, like wrong that comment is like you don't and and, and I, I said this little provoking little phrase Lily I'm not talking about you it's okay <laughs> um, I know I adore her um, but where was I so this is another little cheeky thing someone said um, when a child is hungry he screams when an adult is hungry he makes a sandwich i.e. a lot of Americans have the, you know, their bodies of adults, but they are like just screaming. They don't know how to make a sandwich spiritually. They don't know how to actually feed themselves. And they blame it on the imperfections of the church or anywhere else. The rest of their life they're individualistic. But when it comes to this, they're like, well, I'm looking for this thing to do it for me. It's really extraordinary. So I hope you receive that with love. But I think it's kind of true. And I, re- and I, think it, I don't think a lot of... American Christians have been taught it. I think if you hear about the idea of self-love, many of us recoil from that. We, we, we understand loving God and loving our neighbor, but loving our neighbor as ourself, I don't like that. I don't like, and I understand because there can be a narcissistic self-love because our English word love is very, very clumsy. Greeks had four words for love and there's a negative type of love and there's lots of healthy types of love that we need to address. So learning to build ourselves up, to love ourselves, to speak to ourselves in a way that Jesus is really into, because he actually likes you, despite your sinfulness and your brokenness, he still really, really loves you, is really, really crucial. And that's what Jude is trying to get at, I think. He's saying, build yourself up in your most holy trust, because you need that. And if you don't have that, you'll be very vulnerable to lots of insecurities. You'll be trying to get that love from everywhere else, which is what we all, we all try and do it. And then we become highly offendable, we become paranoid, we become critical because we're trying to get a, a sense of God's love that he wants us to actually primarily learn to apply ourselves from other people, right? Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Yeah. So um, talking to yourself is very biblical. David, I mean, he, he's, he's the king of this, right? Psalm 62, he's saying to himself, you, are, you my soul, find rest in God. So what's he saying? He's obviously his soul is anxious. His soul is obviously not at rest. And he's saying to himself, oh my soul, find your rest in God. David, find your rest in God. You can trust God. He is worthy of a place of rest. Psalm 116, uh, David says, return to your rest, 
O my soul. So similar, clearly David's inner life, he's exhausted. And rather than looking outside, he is talking to himself. He's talking, return to your rest, O my soul. Or Psalm 103, you know, bless the Lord, O my soul. I.e., you're getting a bit entitled. You're not blessing him. You'll get, you know, if you look at that, and forget not all of his benefits, the one who heals all your diseases and forgives all your sins. He's like, David, yeah. you're getting entitled. Bless him. Open your mouth. You know, he's talking to himself. So I think if you were like around David's tent, you'd be like, David, you're all right in there. Who are you talking to? <laughs> like, oh, no one. No, no one. Just myself. You know, I think David realized that to talk to yourself is a hugely crucial thing. Because as Lloyd-Jones says, whether you like it or not, you are listening to yourself. There is a voice, whether you know it or not, that is constantly, even now, bringing shame, anxiety, you shouldn't be here, you should be getting ready to do other work. There's a multitude of ways, comparing yourself with others in this room, judgment on yourself, judgment, it's just this inner critic is alive and well. And so if you don't learn to start to talk back, you are, you are doomed to a life of being quietly bombarded with a horrendous combination of the world, the flesh and the devil combo, cocktail, of bringing yourself um, into a place of self-loathing and self-criticism. Um, and, and what Lloyd-Jones is saying is you need to learn to talk back. You need to actually learn to hear that voice. Now, the first step with this, really practically your homework, if you're not resonating with what I'm saying, is to spend 15 minutes this week and just try your best to consciously track what is going on inside. As you wake up, what do you feel? Do you feel behind? Do you feel like already, oh gosh, I'm not, I, have, I should need to be doing more things, I'm not efficient enough. Is to learn to actually, and I know we're all busy, but I'm just saying 15, like 10 minutes if you can't do 15, to actually write down what am I thinking, what am I feeling, and to become aware of that is a crucial first step um, if, you're not, if you're not used to it. You will probably find that there are certain things that trigger you more than others. Time of the day, okay? If you, many people, first thing in the morning, for some reason, you wake up and then there's this flood of dread or whatever it might be, like, oh, I'm alive again, you know. And, <laughs> and, and, and it's like, wow, that is actually happening. And we, we're very good at deceiving ourselves. So I, you know, in my life, I would have looked like a high achieving, high energy person. It's only, I'm 44 and a half, only in the last two and a half years I've realized that was actually anxiety masking itself in in hard work right perfectionism that is my story so time of the day time of the year if you're tired everyone's tired at this time of year we're longing for vacation it's a strange opportunity to see your old false self more clearly you're probably more like irritable you're probably more prone to like snappiness and like respond like reactive responding rather than calm responding time of the year when you're really tired like now is a really um i had a friend who was a head teacher of a school and he said that last session in that school was like a war zone the amount of disputes and breakdowns between teachers in the staff room was just every single sort of april may june you just like braced himself because everyone's tired and it, and it brings out those those inner 
parts of us that we're that we're if we're not aware of are really huge. Um, for different activities, or it might be the state of your house. You know, you might like things in a certain way, and when it's not like that, it really makes you feel very aware of that part of you. Um, activities for me, like preaching, actually, because of my past, ironically, it's been a big battle for me to to not have that as something that really brings up those inner voices. So you get the idea. There's lots of different things, and learning yourself, true knowledge. I think it was Calvin who said, uh, "All true knowledge is is knowledge of God and knowledge of self." So you, you can't actually, in a sense, know God fully without knowing yourself or else your, your inner voice is so loud, it clouds you from entering his presence and actually hearing him. So you have to do some of that work. I noticed for me in the mornings, uh, when I, in the last two and a half years, God's shown me a lot of stuff in my past. That It wasn't like the, a, an awful childhood, but there was stuff in it, sins of commission and sins of, of omission that just weren't good. And I denied it. My body had told me it didn't happen. And I was all great and it was all fine. I consciously thought that. And the Holy Spirit in the last two and a half years has brought things to memory that I've buried, which have been pretty, it's kind of quite a vulnerable thing that happens, particularly in your mid-40s when you think you should be all sorted. I'm totally not sorted. Mm -hmm. Um, But one of the things that kind of almost I saw was how much anxiety I was carrying. I would never, ever thought of that. And I realized I, in the mornings I'd wake up and I felt this like, almost like a flood of dread before I even got out of bed. And it was this sense of like, you're behind, you're behind and you're not safe until you've done certain things. That was at the heart of it. You're not safe, Tom, until you've done those things, prepared that thing, that meeting's coming up, that event. And, and, and it was this body was on loop. You're not safe. You're not safe. And... Um, and I didn't see this until recently. And the, the reality is, unless you learn to see it and then start to actually talk back to yourself, either in your head or out loud, you will be driven by that and you'll start to, you'll start to live off the back of that en- en- energy and voice rather than in the, in the safety of Christ's love. And, you start, and your whole life can be built not on, I will build my life on anxiety. You know, <laughs> that's actually what's happening. You're like, no, no, build it. But it's, 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 not, it's not easy. This is like a nuance to this. Um, this is the huge thing. Unless you agree with Christ's actual affection for you, his love for you is in a way in vain. Now, I don't mean it doesn't have sal- salvific f- effect. It, it can carry you to heaven, of course. But what I'm saying is you can be born again and live a whole life where you look exactly like you did really before. It doesn't get into you. It doesn't get marinated into the, into the, into the pork, right? It doesn't get in. You have to take it and agree with it. Say agree with it. Agree. Like Jesus says, love God, love God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself. You have to learn to literally build yourself up, to love yourself. And part of loving yourself means at times agreeing with conviction when you've got it wrong. That's loving as well as you're great, Tom. You know, it is both. But it involves like, what, does it, what would it have felt like to be around Christ? And I think it would have been challenging and amazing. So I've got to take blobs of that imagery and apply it to myself until he takes me home. That is my biblical mandate is to love myself. Now, let me say this. I had this experience with my youngest daughter and she's given me permission to share this story, so I'm not throwing her under, under the bus. 
where for a few months, 6, 6.15 in the morning, we would all get up at six. Well, our alarms went off at six. And I would go into her bedroom, and at 6.15, Jess like, all right. Um, and I would stumble around, you know, eventually getting out of bed. I would go in and Poppy um, would, would have a sort of simmering anger with herself. She would be dressed in her school uniform. Her bed was immaculate already, made at 6.15. Her, her clothes were out. Or, you know, she was dressed. Everything was ready. And she had this, like, intensity of, like, I'm behind, I'm behind, I'm behind. And i like, I'd be coming and be like, hey, popster, morning, I missed you. How are you, darling? Do you sleep okay? Good dreams? You know, and I could see her as this physically exquisite girl who was already way ahead. We didn't have to leave for another hour. Like, you know... She's so uh, organized and uh, compared with dad, you know, all this stuff. And, and, and she, though, was just, like, it was like my love was bouncing off her. It just didn't get in because she was like, oh, no, I'm behind. I've got to do this thing. And I had this moment standing in her bedroom where I was like, oh, my gosh, like, what's wrong with her? Like, why can't she see reality? She's safe. She's so safe. She's got lovely teachers. She's got this lovely family that we're all for her. Like, where is this inner, weird, like, critic, perfectionist, anger, frustration thing? Um, I was like, what? What's, kind of, what's wrong with her? Why can't she... See? I can see how lovely she is and how safe and how organised. And I suddenly had this moment where I felt the father say, you've been doing that for 42 years. You've been doing exactly the same. And here's the thing. She knows dad loves her but functionally, she doesn't love herself. She can't agree with, and she's grown in this, just to say, but she was living in that moment, unable to apply the reality and the power of a loving father and mother into her bones to actually help her to come to a place of rest. And, you know, um, praise God, bit by bit, she's definitely, you know, learning to feel safe and loved and secure but there's many adults who really have a version of poppy right if we're honest because we know god loves us but we don't actually love ourselves can you imagine the joy i i would have felt if i come up to her door and just heard her learning to practice speaking kindness over herself well done poppy you got up well done, you've done your bed. Good job. Well done, you made a good choice of your clothes. Well done, I love that high ponytail. Really works for you. Now, I know it sounds silly, but like, like it's, it, it is silly, but actually it would have made me like the happiest dad in the world, right? To hear her living in truth for herself. It wouldn't have been silly. I would have probably cried knowing me. Like, actually hearing her doing that. So we are called to do that. One of my new spiritual disciplines every day is to walk my dog beans in our woods and to do my version of that. At the end of a day when I'm tired and I'm always feeling like I haven't been efficient enough, particularly living in San Francisco where everyone is like high achievers. And I'm like, I just feel like, a, like an absolute thicky, You know, like a sort of prehistoric slow thicky compared with, as in not clever when I say thicky, you know, like, sorry, translation. So, and, I, and that gets into me. I feel like, I'm just, why am I here, God, you know? And, um, and, and I, I will walk the dog and I will, just talk, I will just talk to myself 
as my father would, would do it. I'd be like, Tom, well done. Well done for even doing this. Well done for leaving your phone in the house for an hour. Well done for doing something as inefficient as walking your dog. And you're not simultaneously listening to a podcast about <laughs> church leadership. You're just unhurried time with your father. Well done, Tom, for noticing that smell. Sounds silly, but that is a sign of health for me. When I can notice smells and beauty and when I am slow enough to be present to the present and I will build myself up in my holy trust. Well done, Tom. Well done for walking this and well done for the way that you reacted earlier on today. Oh, well done for the fact that you got out of bed <laughs> and, you know, even though you felt pretty low and you felt pretty sad, you got yourself dressed and, you know, seriously, I will do that. And the difference it makes actually agreeing with my father and, and turning down that, that track and turning up that, the track of, you know, the, the, the tape player of my father, I think brings phenomenal joy to him, but it, it brings an incredible strength inside. So first of all, talking to yourself, secondarily with the words of God, with the words of Jesus. Turn to Psalm 139. Let me show you what I mean. It's a simple principle. What my first aim with my first point is just to get you going with something. Just say, say nice stuff to yourself, basically, all right? And I know that sounds like self-talk, psychology self-talk, but what I'm trying to show you biblically is that, um, you know, there is a, there's a biblical track record for this. Um, that is crucial um, but even more than just your own words for yourself we have this treasure trove of God's promises of who he is now let me give an example this is a little trick that I now use uh, to to apply practically what I'm talking about how do I actually learn to speak Jesus's specific faithful tr truth about who he is over Tom what does that actually mean so Psalm 139 you know this and look at the direction of this of this famous prayer it's it, David to God you have searched me Lord and you know me you know when I sit and when I rise you perceive my thoughts from afar you discern my going out and my lying down you are familiar with all my ways now that is gold right however what I, would, what I would probably then do if I was wanting to build myself up in my holy faith with scripture is I would, because this is, this, is, this is true plumb line as to who God actually is. I would say something like this. Okay, let me let you into a moment of my own Tom and Jesus building myself up. I would say this. Tom, he has searched you and he knows you. Which means, Tom, he actually has energy for you. If he's searched you and he knows you, it means he's interested in you. And you have such a longing to be known for a relational intimacy that you so often look for in friendships horizontally when actually it can only be filled by Jesus who knows you and has searched you and he never gets bored of you and your endless mistake of hoping this next friendship will fill that deepest longing to be known 
for that person to ask me questions, that person to really know me and love me and never get bored of me talking. That endless pursuit I have, that we all have, that I have, Tom, Jesus alone, he searches you and he knows you. He knows you even more. And he knows when you sit and when you rise, i.e. you're safe to sit. You're safe to not work. You know, you are often someone who's nervous about stopping because you feel like you're not safe to do that, that you're gonna get behind. But Tom, he knows when you sit and he approves of when you sit. And to be a Christ follower means you can metaphorically and literally sit. But he's also with you when you rise, when you do normal daily stuff, when you're out and about in the grocery store, when you're on the bus, he knows when you rise and he's with you when you rise. He is familiar with all your ways, Tom, all your wacky ways, those ways that no one else even knows. And Tom, you often emphasize trying to get to know God's ways, and that's good, but he's interested in knowing your ways, your personality. He is familiar with all your ways. So you see the feel there is so different, isn't it? When you're actually taking the promises of scripture and you are applying them to you personally. This is who he is and I can trust this from the scriptures and I can apply it deep into my heart. There's an amazing, actually elderly uh, lady now um, in England who's part of our family of churches called Ginny Bergman, who is, if you met her, she's the most sort of, um, genuinely the most introverted person you'll probably ever meet. And, um, but she has an amazing like gift of prophecy. And she just quietly journals away these things. And then years later, she, you know, you'll look back. I mean, she literally prophesied about Princess Diana's death before it happened and the Twin Towers. It was extraordinary. Now, I know you don't know who she is and you might think I'm being crazy, but I promise you, you know, she's, she really is like just the real deal. And she's so humble. She hates, you know, she's just, she's so wonderful. But she grew up, uh, she wrote a book called Overcoming Nemo. And Nemo is the Latin for nobody. And her upbringing was horrifically abusive. And she was so despised in her family. And she had to grow up. She, she basically, it's her story of how she overcame this like almost demonic, horrendous, just cage of lies. Uh, and has now become someone who can hear God with such amazing accuracy and such authenticity. But she talks about a crucial thing in it in, in the book is when she learnt what we're talking about today about talking back to yourself. And she talks about for her, one of her key triggers was actually church. She would go to church and then just want to run out. She'd want to try and arrive late and get out before everyone kind of came because it wasn't a place she wanted to, 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 to linger. And she said the voices that she would hear at the end of the service were this, but you do need to leave because you're nobody. You don't belong in the church family. But then I thought, no, no, I'm gonna stay for five minutes. And so I sat in the pew and I timed myself exactly during that time where I had to listen to all the old rubbish in my head. You don't belong, you're rubbish, you're nobody. But then I found myself speaking back to that voice. But God has put me here and he has adopted me into his family. 
these are my brothers and my sisters and he chose me before the foundations of the world I do belong here and it was like I was having a conversation with this other part of myself that had ruled me all this time and it was jolly hard work as soon as five minutes was finished I shot out of the building <laughs> I did this for a number of weeks but then I thought I was dealing with five minutes rather well so I decided to go for ten what I didn't realize at the time was the importance of what I was doing. I was combating the lies that came from the enemy with God's truth. And as I did it, I began to walk free. The power of God's truth was at work in me to transform me by the renewing of my mind. I love that. I love it. She didn't realize until later the importance of what she was doing. Now this may be something that all of you are really familiar with, but I have never heard someone talk about this. I've heard about prayer, I've, talk, I've heard about lots of different things, but the idea of very specifically personally applying the promises of who God are and the kindness of Jesus' voice over Tom Shaw is not something that I've been familiar with. But I'm now realising it's a hugely, it's not new at all. It is, it is a, it's just a, it's a, it's a part of, um, applying the kindness of God's love to us and building ourselves up. So we need to talk to ourselves with Jesus's words and finally, with this I'll finish, in Jesus's ways. And what I mean by that is one of the key ways that we learn in life is not just through like prepositional truth. Okay, here is a truth and now try and do it. We tend to actually change more through imitation. It's a huge part of how humans are designed to, to actually change. It's why heroes are so important. You know, Carl Jung famously said, um, we, we only change through archetypes. So you have an archetype of someone that you respond to and you unconsciously become like them. So if you don't understand, that is actually a huge part of how you change. If you think you just change from hearing truth and then going off and trying to apply it, you're really missing a huge part of what it is to be a human who is designed to learn, yes, through truth, but truth embodied in actual people, like his ways as well as his words. That's why Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Like, who, how I respond to things is how you're meant to respond. You're meant to see me through my church, and you can visualize things, and it will change you in a way that if you just think about that on its own, you won't. For example, if I said we're called to be patient, right? Called to be patient. Um, who is someone patient that we all might know? Jackie's very patient. Well, you seem to be very patient. But Jackie doesn't interrupt you. She doesn't. No, if you, if you have a conversation with Jackie, she'll just sit there and go, mm-hmm. And Jackie isn't in a hurry, <laughs> generally. She is, um, she is very present to the present. Um, she's not perfect, but she is. I would say patience is something that you definitely, to me at least, compared with me, I think you ooze. Now, the reason I'm saying that is because it's one thing that I should be patient, and we think of patience as this sort of thing. I should be kind of like Jackie is very different. Do you understand? That it helps me to think, oh, no, the way that I am... Like, so if Jesus is patient, what is love? 1 Corinthians 13, the two, the two things he says at the beginning, love is patient, love is kind. So if Jesus is patient and kind, that means he's kind of like Jackie. He doesn't get irritable with me quickly. 
So when I think about being kind to my, if I'm waking up and I'm thinking, oh, I'm behind. And I think, wait a minute, would Jackie, it'd be a bit, bit weird if Jackie was standing there, but just for the sake of it, just say she was standing there. But Jack, actually like, all right, that's an imperfect analogy, but a, a Jackie type person, I mean, Ron seems very patient as well. I don't know Ron that well, but a patient person is what I'm saying. If you actually think about a person standing there going, hey Tom, how are you? So like I'm, I am patient with my kids in the morning, Daisy and Liliana. I love to see you. I'm, I'm, I've missed you. It's true, isn't it? Every, I'm like, Lily, you know, Daisy. And that is God's gift to you. I'm not perfect, but it is a gift to you that I have a patience in the morning. I'm not hurrying you. And we are designed to be reprogrammed through other humans who embody crucial elements of Christ so that we go, wait a minute, that anxiety that is driving me, if I was in the presence of Jackie or Ron or whatever, uh, it would be shown up to be inappropriate because Jackie would be like, Tom, you're fine. She wouldn't even have to say it. I just feel it, right? Because our souls are permeable. They absorb people's, you absorb people's vibe. You know that, right? That's why you can be fine and then suddenly you meet someone and they haven't even said much and you can feel anxiety. You can feel fear you can feel anger so you know the bible says that one of the main ways that you change in life is through the company that you keep you know bad company corrupts good character so if you're consistently around people who are carrying a lot of nervous energy a lot of perfectionism a lot of drivenness a lot of whatever it might be you will absorb that you will and that will affect your inner life profoundly and your inner critic will be like, yes, great. They are reinforcing what I want Ryan to think about herself or Josie or Tom. Do you see? So you have to go, wait a minute, Jesus, actually, I'm surrounded by all these driven people. Jackie is patient. So I need, to, I need to be around stable people intentionally. That's why discipleship is crucial. I need to actually seek out consistent time with people who may, some may be people who are public gifted people, many of them won't be. They may be humble, behind the scenes type of people, but people who embody elements of Christ's kindness and love. So that I can think, wait a minute, I'm being really hard on myself, right? I'm halfway through my day, I've been all, I haven't done much, I feel really bad, you know, the, the cardinal sin of America, I haven't been busy enough. But if I, was, if I was with Ron now, probably Ron would be like, hey Tom, good to see you, chill out, don't worry about it, have a cup of tea, you know, probably, knowing Ron, he would probably be like, it's okay. So anyway, so knowing Jesus' ways, that's why isolation in the last two years is so deadly. It's really heartbreaking how many Christians have withdrawn and a major way you grow in the Christian life is not just through hearing truth, it's through seeing truth and being around truth, lived in people. Christianity is more about, this is worth writing down, you'll probably remember it because it's catchy, is more about imitation than innovation. And I have to say, many people, younger people particularly, despise that. They want it to be this new, funky, innovative thing that they have pioneered somehow. And I get it, but particularly in the Bay where everything's about this new thing that we're developing, the idea that you are called to imitate people you don't have to just reinvent the world. You're called to learn, to see in other people that you trust who embody Christ. Oh, that's what it looks like to be patient. That's what it looks like to be kind. 
is actually a really lost message for lots of legitimate reasons because of abusive stuff and stuff that's been tragic. But that is why life on life, being together. So let me ask you this question. Who do you intentionally have regular time with? This is a really important piece of homework. Who do you regularly intentionally have time with who you think embody the patience and the kindness of Jesus that help you to learn to trust that Jesus isn't hurrying you up, that he's okay with the pace that you're going. Who, who do you have? When I started to see all this anxiety in my life, my counsellor, who lives in Chattanooga, an older gentleman, uh, he was like, man, I, my biggest prayer for you, Tom, is that God's gonna bring into your life stable, secure, older men and women who, are, who can literally just model to you that you're safe, that you don't have to keep get going, you don't have to perform, you don't have to be competitive, you don't have to be the best, you don't have to be the centre of attention, that can, that can literally, through their friendship, help almost reprogram your slightly broken, almost neurological pathways that are telling you you're under, literally telling you you're not safe when you are. Because in Christ, God has done it all for you. Does that make sense? So really practical needing to be around people who I realise when I leave them, even if we talked about whatever, the sheer presence of that person has ministered Christ to me in those specific ways. So finally then, this leads to tremendous fruit. I would just say a couple of examples in my life. I think I am, um, I think I'm more stable as a result of learning to build myself up in my uh in my holy faith i i would say the last few months have been a little challenging for most of us um we have had a lot of people connect in and then connect away (laughs) and um this thing of ghosting uh where they don't even have the the respect to tell you they don't want to be your friend anymore uh, has been (laughs) like i mean i'm a human you know i'm relational i like people and i open my heart quickly to people and i don't think that's wrong you know it can be wrong but i think i'm just designed to love and i think to have so many people kind of appear one thing and then kind of not be that and um that really has an effect and josie and i have had to really battle that and one of the keys has been learning we're called to stay in the fight it's called to stay in planet earth but i can't look for love from other people primarily i have to look jesus's love and in a sense, agree with it and start this kind of one-on-one little party with him of agreeing with his love for me and then I'm agreeing with that. And you know, it says, Jesus, and David says, you prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. Like, oh yeah, God loves me. Oh, I love me too. I think I'm doing well. Thank you, David. Well done, David. Oh, my soul. You know, he's having this beautiful feast with the father of like agreeing with his love. So that's how he kept going when his life was hellish for so many years. You see? So I can see that in my life. It has, there's many battle scars over the last few years, but I, I do feel fairly inner, innerly stable um, as a result of these things. I think I feel, um, I think I feel uh, less shame when I fail because I'm less, <laughs> I had this moment where I was speaking somewhere else. And anyway, it was just bad. It just didn't go well. Uh, no matter how I tried to spin it in my head afterwards, like, no, that wasn't very good. And uh, I really wanted it to go well. And, I, and I, it was funny that I noticed almost in, I, I could tell that was true. That was actually true. It wasn't that great. And 
I didn't have to pretend. But I was able, it was like it just didn't affect me physically because there, I don't know how to put it, but I was living in this sense of like, no, you, you don't need them. I'm full. I'm actually quite full. Oof, I've had a big meal of love um, because of his kindness to me. And I, and I like me. I actually like me. I actually like, I like myself now more than I've ever liked myself. And I, I like my body. And I says, no, sounds silly. I would throw that in because I think we tend to think just spiritual. Gnostics. Who are the Gnostic Greeks here? We all are. You are going to be in a body for the rest of your life. Like we die, but we're resurrection bodies on a resurrected earth for the resurrected Christ. So I throw that in because, now this is massive. If you do not know how to love yourself, you cannot actually love others in a way that will have impact. Because they, if you say, oh, I love you, I love you. If I say to my kids, I love you, I love you. But, I, but what they see is self-hatred. They will absorb that way more than all my words of love for Daisy and Lily, Poppy. If they go, yeah, well, Dad always said it, but he really, he just kind of hated himself. And he was always going on about his, his looks or his gray hair or just that he wasn't very good at stuff. That's what you absorb. So do you understand, if you want to be a loving person, this is like a mandate. Now that's really big because self-loathing is very in vogue, right? In reformed circles. Oh, I hate myself, but I love you. You're like, thanks, that's great. But I'm absorbing the the hell. So you have to be someone. The people who have power, when they when they encourage me, are always people who are settled, contented people with themselves. Because otherwise, if they praise me, there's actually like a price tag. If they've got insecurity going on. What they really want me to do is go, oh, you're amazing too, and it's not actually really what it seems. So you have, to, you have to get the oxygen mask on yourself first, right? You have to learn to agree with, oh no, you're doing well, Tom, you're doing well. And if your kids then feel that, I'm sure, I'm sure I'm not perfect at this, they know that it has a power because I don't need them to build me up. Does that make sense? So um, final thing, there's all these benefits to this is what I'm trying to say. It's not narcissistic. It actually makes you a loving person. That's the ironic thing. Um, the final thing I to say, it, it enables you to be able to apologize a lot more easily. Um, I was in the orthodontist last week <laughs> with Poppy, who started to have braces, and uh, it's hard to get an appointment, right? You know, and we got there, and the woman was like, have you got all your documents filled out? I was like, you didn't send them to me. That's why I called the office yesterday, and she said, oh, we've been phoning you all morning. I was like, you phoned me 10 minutes ago when I was up the, down the stairs. And anyway, so I was a little firm. Because of the new Tom, who actually likes myself, uh, the old Tom would be like, no problem, I'll come back in a year, you know. The new Tom was like, actually, she said, I'm sorry, she, didn't, she wasn't even like sympathetic. And she said, she said something like, you know, you'll have to come, we'll have to make another appointment. And there was no like, and I said, no, it is your fault. So we are going to find a solution. And I said it very loudly for some reason, and it sounded very English. In this, and, and the entire waiting room went, and Poppy was looking at me like, you know, like, Dad, no, it's not worth it. And anyway, the woman went off and she stuck at the manager. I was like, good. And then the manager came out and we made a plan and it was all fine. And now I have to admit, my tone was wrong. Okay, it was wrong. It was too, for it was too forceful. Um, and so, but the thing was, afterwards, before I left, I went over to her and said, hey, look, I just want to apologise. I'm really sorry. You know, I, I, just, my I was, it just came out a bit too forceful. Um, and she was like, that's all right, that's fine. Now, it was, it was fine doing that because, although everyone was listening, you know, it was, in the, it was the only way you could do it because it was just like there was the waiting room and it, was, it had to be a public apology. Um, but it was fine and I thought, oh, that's different. That feels different. 
And I think it's because I don't actually need her or everyone's approval in the same way that I would have done. I'm learning to live in the love of God and it's actually like a tangible thing only when I apply it myself. If I just think of it as a theory thing and don't agree with it and actually start to say, these are the things I like about myself. And I agree with you, you know, like I am wonderfully and fearfully made. I'm not perfect, but I, there is so much about me that actually God doesn't just love, he likes. And I'm called to like the things that God likes and to hate the things that he hates, you know. Anyway, is that helpful? Is that helpful? Any kind of questions or...